0: Everybody
1: If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to a very special Super Bowl edition of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. But it's also the show where all of us Co hosts and producers who work on the show are feverishly working on the Super Bowl. It is that time of year. We're coming to you in the throes, in the midst of Super Bowl week, which is uh, obviously one of the most stressful times of the year for those of us who work in sports. And as you know, we work across media, marketing, advertising, PR, video production. So we're all in some way being stretched thin with Super Bowl week. So we're going to kind of break the fourth wall a little bit this week. And we're going to talk to you a little bit more about the ways that we approach something like Super Bowl as part of our job. So we've got some great guests who are going to give some really interesting perspectives about the selling of the Super Bowl, about the media environment at the Super Bowl. We're going to start with Brian Curtis. He is a, uh, a friend of show, been on before talking about Jurassic Park. Uh, but you know him as a great uh, feature writer and media critic for Bill Simmons' site, The Ringer. We've also got Adweek's Christina Monlos. Uh, you also may know her as the producer on the podcast. Yeah, that's probably an ad. Uh, we're going to talk to her about trends in advertising, about uh, just the, the, the way that marketers and brands are approaching the Super Bowl this year, heading into the game. And, and so on and so forth. This is, again, a little bit of a different tone than what we normally strike with you guys, but uh, it's a window into who we are and what we do. And we thought it'd be fun just to sort of peel back the curtain and talk a little bit more openly about everything going on around Super Bowl week. So I am your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer. In Chicago, I was supposed to be in Minneapolis. Trip got canceled. Long story. Not going to get into it. Now with us, uh, Adam Willard, our fearless uh, sports PR person. He is braving Radio Row as we speak, a a topic we will talk a lot more about with Brian Curtis here in a little bit. Joe Reed uh, burning the midnight oil on several Super Bowl-related projects in Seattle. But with us, joining me from a very snowy truck. uh, (laughs) No, from a very snowy city. up to minus two. Minus two is uh, a seven-time Emmy winner, Garrett used. Garrett, tell us where you are right now and what you're doing.
0: I'm outside the Mall of America in the back storage unit of an edit truck that I've been living <laughs> most of the weekend. Uh, I'm producing studio shows for the Patriots Not Done Network. Um, and this is where we hang out to edit all the pieces that air. So that's where I'm posted up. It started the day at negative seven. We have warmed up to minus two, and that's basically the situation here in Minneapolis. Man, my trip to Minnesota was, uh, I guess you could say execution
1: was stayed at the last minute. I got a call from the governor, basically. <laughs> it was like, you, you don't need to go. You can stay in Chicago. So I'm down here dealing with much warmer weather. Gareth, you've said a few times that um, there's like frost in your truck. Is that accurate?
0: Yes, uh The frost has started to creep into the truck. It's coming along the, like, the bottom molding or, like, the metal grating at the bottom and on the door between here and the outside. It
1: it brings up an interesting point because I think when you tell people, oh, I'm going to work at the Super Bowl, there's always, like, oh, that's awesome. And then there's this weird dance you have to do where you need to describe, well, it's not awesome. But it's still cool to be around the spectacle. So how do you balance the cynicism that we feel in the industry with the uh, kind of, I guess, I don't want to hear it attitude we hear talking about that cynicism to anyone outside of the industry?
0: Yeah, it's um, the Super Bowl means work to me at this point. Like I've done enough of it to know that's like it'll be a grind. Now This one was one I signed up for. Voluntarily, basically the pats reached out to me and asked if I would take part in this. And frankly, I did it for an opportunity to work with some of some of my favorite people and get to see them for a week. And so in that way, it's been fun. Don't get me wrong. At the same time, the hours are long. It's exhausting. You're FaceTiming home. And my three-year-old's like, daddy, you'll be home tonight. It's like, no, but I got like five more days of this. Uh, and the the other part of it, too, is like everything I've always done has had so much to do with broadcast and production that this, my view of the Super Bowl is this. It's where I'm standing right now. And it's just it's the Super Bowl looks like the in, inside of a broadcast truck. And that's just sort of basically it. So I've never made it to a Super Bowl party.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, Gareth. What's the what's the vibe like from the media and the folks working on the ground? I think we've we've laughed over the years about how um, they get miserable and they get loud about it uh, when the Super Bowl is in a cold weather city or in a smaller city. So <laughs> it's been the kind of a mix of the two because not only do you have it's kind of a perfect storm because not only do you have really cold weather and snow, you've got things spread out across the Twin Cities and you've got sort of relatively small. Uh, Non-party-centric cities versus, like you know, Miami or or New Orleans. So, what's the overall mood like from your perspective on the ground?
0: So, first of all, New Orleans is the best city for a Super Bowl. That's a blast. That's it's perfectly laid out, and you can walk from your hotels to the stadium. I don't want to have to drive a lot. Like cities like Phoenix or um, Dallas, some of the more spread out urban centers as opposed to cities you're looking at like a 40 minute drive almost no matter what you do to get from the stadium to your hotel. So in this way it's pretty good we're 8 minutes from our hotel to the Mall of America where where the the radio row is taking place. So in that way it's really convenient and I can't knock Minneapolis. This is my first cold weather city Super Bowl. This is insane. Like there's it, it, it's just there's it's so much less fun. Um, the prevailing attitude. Look, you work so much at Super Bowl that you, everyone gets bitchy. But as it goes along, you know, there's a camaraderie to be found in that. There's a miserableness that comes from the cold here that's just so demoralizing. And so, and I've never experienced that before. The Super Bowls I've done are Phoenix, uh, New Orleans, Miami, and San Francisco, so, this is a whole different ball of wax. You don't really, it's funny when you look back on it. I worked Super Bowl 50, and that was such a big deal internally like 50, like round number, golden anniversary. But it's funny, I think you really only remember the games that are good. You know, like the most important, like everyone will remember the Super Bowl 42. It's not a real, it's not a special number, but the game was epic and memorable. And so that's, to me, what ultimately stands out. Like, it's, it's a larger part of what I've always said about working in sports. Like, you can do all this great stuff around the games, around whatever. It, if the game isn't good, none of it will be memorable. If this game is good, people will look back on the Super Bowl as being solid, whether it was negative seven or not. Um, so it really just depends on the game.
1: Adam and I worked the one in Dallas where they had the ice storm and, uh, you know, th- I was listening to, um, I was online, and I was hearing like Clay Travis talk this week about how he has not left the ball of America. He hasn't been outside in like four days. And that's yep. that's, that's true. I mean, in Dallas, I, I didn't even know it had snowed on uh, yeah. on Friday morning until I went out to get a bagel. And I realized I had not been outside um, since, since Monday night and I had not um, called my wife since Tuesday. <laughs> I was in big trouble.
0: <laughs> I did actually overhear somebody say that this week, like, huh. I should probably give my wife a call this week.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that is real. And and the the again, the presumption is always, oh, too busy out at the parties, right? And you're like, no, I was actually in a in an a, a, a empty conference room on the floor because there's no chairs left um, trying to get Wi-Fi to work to send out like a, a monitoring report about uh, coverage trends. From my side on the PR marketing, I haven't watched a game, just sat down and watched the Super Bowl um, without focusing on work... Uh, since 2010 season, the um uh, Steelers, uh, Packers, and that's just because Adam and I were there, um, mm-hmm. getting bombed. It,
0: it, it that's a funny the- one. To, that's a funny Super Bowl for me. That's the day my wife and I found out we were expecting our first child, and we blew off the Super Bowl to go out to dinner, and then went to a friend's house and caught like the fourth quarter. <laughs>
1: Right, I mean, cause cause we're watching the ads, we're watching the real time social. I mean, uh, you know, uh, for years, and we don't do it as much anymore. But um, our clients wanted like war rooms set up for for social content in real time. I mean, one year, Joe Reed and I were putting together real time vines using M and M's lentils to uh, recreate plays and having Joe Montana narrate the action. I mean, it's a lot. There's a lot going on all the time through everything. That's happening, and even when your clients aren't activating, you still have to like work on who is winning the Super Bowl from a marketing perspective. What is what are the activations that are new? Uh, where did we stack up? How did our coverage stack up? And that bleeds well into the next morning. I, I can remember leaving that that Super Bowl in Phoenix, uh, the first Pats um, Giant Super Bowl, and my client said, "Oh, you know what? You worked so hard this week. You should take Monday off and like relax." And I was like, "Oh, thanks." First email came in Sunday morning at 8 in the morning like, we need these these new reports <laughs> that just came up based on a call with our CMO. And it's not Monday off turned into Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday all-nighters. So right, right, right. it's just the reality of the game. We're not complaining, but I think today's show is going to focus. We're breaking format a little bit, and and we're going to focus on some of the trends about the business of selling the Super Bowl and just kind of give you a glimpse into our world and what we do day to day and then you know next week we'll get back to talking about uh, Shaquille O'Neal's rap career and that kind of stuff <laughs> Garrett do, do you even watch the ads anymore is that a part of your
0: life? Well this is what bothers me like I hate that all the ads come out before the Super Bowl now because then why are you watching the Super Bowl um, or at least it takes the ads away as a driver to the game agree or disagree in my talk later with christina you know
1: we, we'll get into the rhyme or reason why brands do or don't release commercials early because it's a really great point
0: there is a i, I of, get it in theory
1: well no but but there look you're paying five million dollars for the commercial the question is how do you maximize the return on your investment for that uh for you know for that money Now, the brands who end up in the top two to three commercials of the game, who win the ad meter, they're going to be all over Today Show, CNBC, uh, everybody's uh, rankings of the commercials the next morning. And that'll be an enormous Mm. bounce. And that right there, I think, justifies the expense even beyond the 110 million people, 100 million people that are going to watch the game. But Mm. that's not a guarantee you're going to be in that group. So to release the spot early, there's there's two things. One... You want to be able to get a bounce of media coverage that you can look at and say, hey, look, I generated 100 million impressions or 200 million impressions or all this media coverage about my commercial, and I got everybody to watch it during the game because it's a live sports moment. Beyond that, you got to put it into the greater cultural context. This is the only time of the year, and my advertising friends Mm. don't send me nasty grams. It's the only time of the year when people are actively interested in commercials. Like to this degree. Yeah. When they're like, what are the commercials going to be like? Every other part of the year, people are just hitting the X to like knock them out of their feed or skipping forward or whatever. Or running into a good one by accident because it's funny or it's interesting or it's it's compelling. This is the only time when I can call up the Today Show and say, I got a commercial for this client or this client. And they say, great, let's, let's have a conversation about it.
0: So that's interesting. It, 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 is a, it
1: is a delicate dance. I guess the adversarial relationship between marketing and media, they need each other, but they don't want each other, but they desperately need each other. And all year long, there's this push pull of how much branding will we allow into this interview or um, what media do we want to use to break this story versus paying for the coverage. And this is the only time of year where that kind of drops and everyone says, all right, let's talk about your brand. And uh, if it's good enough, we'll put it on the air. And if it's not, uh, go back to the drawing board or come up with something gimmicky. It's, it's a different dynamic.
0: Yeah, no, I like that you talked about that adversarial relationship and that for the, this is the one moment where you could, like, get the star director of a commercial sitting on the set of the Today Show. Um, for annoying corpo jargon, I heard the word spontent for the first time this week. Oh. Um, yeah, I know, dude. That is, that is a good one. What was huh? the context? Well, we had to do uh, basically a piece of branded content or sponsored content for the Patriots Not Done Network. And the guy turned to me and goes, so I'll have some more of that Spontent oh. for later in the week.
1: No, I, I want to make a plea to everybody involved in our industries. Let's not make this a thing. Let's just not use content.
0: Yeah. No, no. You know, it was so funny to go up to, I mean, basically Radio Row this week is on a food court, is in a food court. And so, like, everywhere you turn, there's somebody sitting down recording a podcast interview, recording a podcast, recording a stand-up for TV. Like, the amount of content generated from this is staggering. And so much of it, it, like, but it's also designed to be dated and timely and timeless. like, it's also designed to, like, be dated and worthless, like, almost immediately. Like, none of this will last
1: very long. That's one of my biggest problems, and one of the things I've been exploring a lot this week is, you know, as things like Facebook have moved away from, uh, you know, just, we want to publish news all the time and moving back toward... Um, you know, I think you know just uh, uh, the older model of how to how to how to publish on those platforms. I wonder if what we need to do at Super Bowl is explore more premium content um, uh, as opposed make- to just nonstop. Uh, and I know I'm saying this to someone who's literally doing a 24/7 Pats show, so b- b- bear with me. But I do wonder if 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 we need to pump the brakes a little bit and say maybe this gathering at Super Bowl is about creating really great, compelling premium content that will hit audiences a couple times during the week and not just a nonstop wall of noise that becomes inevitably harder and harder to cut through as the platforms continue to evolve.
0: Yeah, you know, these these events are also wasteful. You just see, like, mountains of trash and half-eaten food and things like that, and I have to feel like some of the content generated fits right into that like we just make this mountain of wasteful content that comes out of the super
1: well not you gareth you're doing you're doing the lord's work i said work. we yeah you you you're doing the lord's work up there not adam he's uh, every one of his interviews booked this week is 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 great for media and it's brands gold. alike
0: <laughs> I mean, okay. look. I don't want to sound overly cynical about it, but you you get to a point where you've made enough stuff, and you realize that the stuff you make and the shows you make and the pieces you do, it all exists in a spectrum, and some of them are better than others. And that show was garbage, and that show was good, and it was some shows are good, and that's as good as they were ever going to be. They couldn't have been great, um, and so it's all right, you know.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, like I said. Different lens from us this week. Uh, We'll be back with our full crew next week for you. uh, But we wanted to give you a little bit of an inside look at the things we think about on the uh, media side, the marketing side, the branding side, the business of the Super Bowl. I mentioned our guests off the top. Right now, we're going to go to an interview that I did with Brian Curtis from The Ringer. Um, he's one of my favorite writers who covers sports. Really love his media criticism that he's done on a variety of outlets uh, associated with The Ringer, several podcasts, uh, lots of uh, in-depth pieces and, 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 and work that he's done. We, we wanted to break down sort of the culture of media at the Super Bowl, the, the phenomenon that is Radio Row how this came to be, what, how how do we think it's going to evolve as technology changes the way we consume sports news. And then afterwards, we've got a really fun interview I was able to do with Adweek senior editor, Christina Manlos. She is someone who is kind of talking openly about the way that they cover the advertising of the Super Bowl, which we all know is a, is, a, is a special phenomenon in the marketing world. And I get a chance to talk to her about the trends this year that she saw heading into the game. What are the ways that advertising is or isn't responding to the uh, cultural moment that we're currently in, the politicization of the NFL, the response to the Trump administration? And, uh, of course, uh, what's happening with the Me Too movement and the scrutiny on, uh, on the content of advertising and the role women play in there. So, uh, again, peeling back the curtain of the business of the Super Bowl. We know you guys are probably just looking forward to enjoying the game. But for those of us who, who are uh, working it and hoping just to kind of gut through the next week, we thought it'd be fun to talk to uh, some of those folks and hear their perspectives on uh, Super Bowl as uh, work <laughs> for lack of a better term so stick around we hope you enjoy this we'll be back with our regular format next week has a lot of really fun interviews coming your way charlie steiner coming your way talking about being at the original woodstock um charlotte wilder a uh, rising star at SB nation talking about her love of baking shows and her inability to bake so stick around more to come in the in future weeks and for now uh, we hope you guys all enjoyed the game and um we'll talk to you soon One of my favorite pastimes is making fun of media complaining about the Super Bowl city. So, from, <laughs> from your vantage point, how much fun has it been to see people coming from Philadelphia and Boston and other northern cities suddenly complaining about uh, Minnesota like it's, uh, you know, like they're in Siberia in a work camp?
2: Oh, it's amazing, right? The big thing is to be and take a little picture of the weather on your iPhone, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and say, you know, it, it was minus seven last night. It's amazing. I saw what tweet last night where somebody was comparing it to the weather in Antarctica, you know they just a double screenshot, oh yeah, they didn't note that it was summer summer in Antarctica <laughs> That's a little weird bit of a weird compare uh, it's it's perfect and to me it's sort of it is all of a piece with the complaint about your flight to the Super Bowl, right, and then you complain yep. about. The weather at the Super Bowl, and then finally, if everything holds, you complain about the Wi-Fi at the Super Bowl. That's kind of the third
1: step. Oh yeah, and the and the uh, and the food in the press box, right? The 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 this, the picture of like the half-eaten <laughs> potatoes that look sloppy under the yellow light. Yeah.
2: Exactly, exactly. I love sports vendors.
1: <laughs> right. Well, speaking of which, I I really wanted to break down sort of the culture of media on site because I I say culture very intentionally because. It's a completely different animal than the way I think media, sport, and sports media operate the rest of the year in so many ways. I guess how much time have you actually spent around the Super Bowl? And if I just asked you to describe, you know, what Super Bowl media is like uh, to the average person, like what what would you even do to to capture what it's like to be there?
2: <laughs> I was there the whole week that the Patriots played the Seahawks. And, you know, did every, went through all the rites of passage, right? And I'd say to capture it, there are approximately a billion people there. And about (laughs) 3% of the people are kind of really working, right? Right. Trying to hustle out stories and they're, they're, you know, they've got something, they've got an angle and they're trying to get some good quotes from players and stuff like that. Then you've got, like, another maybe 50% of people that are just doing, like, bits, right? There's a guy who's wearing a barrel at media day, you know, (laughs) asking gag questions to players at media day. They're just there in this kind of jokey way. There's another 25% of people that are just – these aren't going to add up to 100, by the way – but just that – kind of go and are sent by their radio station or newspaper and they just don't care. You know, they're just kind of like, ah, you know, I'm going to ask a question to Bill Belichick and and just really hang out, right? <laughs> I'm not going to bring right. anything at all, but I'm going to be kind of my guy on site. And then there's just, you know, and then there's tons of foreign press and stuff like that that's just kind of running around. So it's weird. You know, it's 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 a massive humanity, but if you, you're you interested in media, you're not really sure what a lot of the people are doing. I guess that's how I'd put it.
1: I can recall very fondly uh, Doctor Z from Sports Illustrated years ago getting so fed up at Media Day with what a circus it was that he asked one of the players, you know, like, "Hey, when you're in your X Y formation and you're running at motion," and the guy, the player, just looked at him and said, "What are you, a coach?" and like didn't even respond after that. But I think media. <laughs> so I mean, there was that time when it, when it was like, "Oh, Media Day has become a circus," but the rest of the week was normal. Now I feel like we've we've conceded the ground to say. Whatever's happening is just happening. If you look over here and it's and it's Mike the situation from Jersey Shore doing an interview with a player on a roller coaster in Mall of America, no one seems phased. So do you get a better do you get a good sense for when maybe it was a generational thing, but like when people just sort of embraced the unusual around Super Bowl because i I don't really see anybody complaining about the nature of content the way they might have done ten years ago.
2: Yeah, I actually looked this up one time and saw that the first self-conscious gag pieces about Media Day were more than 25 years old. Wow. Right? So we've been doing that for a really, really long time. Actually, maybe it may be 30 years old. And it was uh, somebody from the New York Times walking around asking the players, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? <laughs> um, and then I – no joke. Anyway, then it – and I think there's a couple stages, right? Like the year I was there was I think the first year they sold tickets to the public to watch Media Day.
0: Mm-hmm. The opening night or whatever.
2: a basketball arena. Yeah, in a basketball arena watching us interview the players, they couldn't even hear anything. I mean, you're just like, imagine watching a journalist work from like, you know, 100 feet away. That was a really <laughs> weird one. But I also think just like the obvious answer here is social media, right? Because all of a sudden you can just, you know, it's just pure content, right? I mean, you walk around. Oh, look at this funny guy. Oh, look at this silly guy. In an interview, hey, here's a player. Here's somebody wearing a weird jersey, right? I mean, that was the moment that everything became kind of ridiculous because then you can, because people are walking around and they're not really writing anything or maybe they're writing one thing, but mostly they're just, you know, trying to have fun and be silly.
1: I'm glad you said, I'm glad you used the term content because, and not to say, (laughs) and not just because I work in sort of a content marketing, um, you know, area, but I think even, you know, publishers and media these days, it really has become a wall of sound and, you know, Radio Row is happening, you know That's a constant sort of stream of every sports talk station that's nonstop. But now you have every interview is being filmed on a phone and put on Twitter. Um, you, you've got the direct-to-social-platform shows that are happening, like what ESPN was doing this week with Katie Nolan and Mike Golick, uh, Mike Golick Jr., excuse me. At, at what point, I guess I, one of my questions is, at what point will media maybe pump the brakes and say, perhaps instead of uh, just sort of, churning nonstop content out, we need to focus more on premium content or doing maybe one or two really interesting things to stand out as opposed to just nonstop stuff to fill up the time or the feed?
2: <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to happen anytime soon for two reasons. <laughs> one, because you know, the, everybody's editorial plan now is just throw everything against the wall and see what sticks, right? right. Nobody says... Let's cut down the amount of stuff we're publishing, so they can be better. In fact, they just say let's do more. Um, The second thing is, I think the kind of people that go to the Super Bowl and go to Radio Row and go to you know all these press conferences are not your big are not just your big ticket sports writers, right? Mm -hmm. Who are going to be able to deliver like the great interview with Peyton Manning or something like that. Right. It's people somebody explained this to me once, a lot of radio stations that don't you know, as a normal rule, Monday to Friday, get fantastic guests, so all of a sudden they're on radio row, and when you're bringing NFL Hall of Famers and all these other people, and even if they have to you know mention the ad for low T centers or whatever they're doing you know as part of the exchange for the interview, they'll take it because that's a better level guest than they're going to get normally, uh, and they'll take a bunch of them, right? like anybody that comes down radio row so i sort of think that's the plan for the time being and it's going to take some major structural changes in journalism uh, for that to change at all
1: yeah and radio row is such a strange sort of meat grinder i guess you could say where you've got you know you've got athletes coming through um you've got uh, athletes coming through to do branded uh you know branded stories you've got um celebrities that kind of filter in throughout the week and just random stuff happening all the time um, what? Why do you think this is? A, why do you think this exists at Super Bowl, but has not really found another? I, I mean, unless I'm wrong, I, I look at like NBA All Star Game or some of the other places where a lot of media converge, but they don't do this, where they just sort of set up shop in the same area and create this circus. Do Do you have any read on on why this culture has persisted, other than just the obvious answer of there's a week to fill in this city? And so that's, this is, makes logistical sense.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's it. And I think because you just have the largest single concentration of people imaginable, right? And you also have not only, you know, basically every domestic sports radio station, right, or et cetera, but you also have a lot of international stuff that's even more well represented than it would be anywhere except, like, the Olympics, Right. Also, I think probably just the way the Super Bowl works, right? Is that you just have, you have one game, and until then, you have lots of interest in the Super Bowl, but absolutely nothing happening except Bill Belichick kind of snarling at reporters. So, <laughs> you know, you just have this week where you can do stuff. I'm amazed at some of the people, by the way, they drag down radio. It's always like, just, you know, here's a swimmer. Okay. You know, and it's not Michael Phelps, right? It's a swimmer you've never heard of. You know, right. <laughs> here's a swimmer that's going to do interviews. And I'm kind of like, who is interviewing this person? And also, you know, who, what was the publicist plan that said, you know what, we're gonna take you to we're gonna take you to Super Bowl. That that's where, you know, we're gonna get you some hits and it's gonna be at the Super Bowl. But someone's amazing, kinda of wonder if that actually works or not.
1: Well, as someone who's dragged everyone from Peyton Manning to Rob Schneider through Radio Row over the years. I, I can for various clients.
2: <laughs> That's pretty much the range, right there. Yeah,
1: it? it really is. Uh, I, you know, Mia Hamm one one year. I mean, yeah, I I think it, a lot of times it, it boils down to, um, like you said, publicists or brands, um, really trying to get it. And and that brings me to a question about the the convergence of marketing and media because all year long you have this. A very awkward dance where media doesn't want to do too much branded content without getting paid for it. And yet, uh, you know, marketers are always going to offer them and dangle various opportunities, hoping to get earned media placements and organic mentions on the air. But at Super Bowl, I feel like all the rules go away and everyone's just hawking everything and no one really questions it. You're someone who I think has a very analytical mind about the way that that uh, editorial values kind of permeate permeate media. What do you think about just how product-centric all the media is around Super Bowl? Or should we not be surprised, given this is the one time of year that interest in advertising is embraced by virtually everyone in America?
2: Yeah, I think something interesting happened, which is we all, meaning uh, media people who purport to have the values you mentioned, uh, went from complaining about the commercialism of the Super Bowl to participating in the commercialism of the Super (laughs) Bowl, right? I mean, part of of this is going to be inevitable because just by showing up and even doing a good job and, you know, know, trying to write good articles and do great radio segments and do the kind of quality things uh, we'd like to do, we're promoting the game. Right, that is what we are doing. Whether we want to be there, whether we want to be or not, we are promoting the game. Anybody who listens to us is going to have even more reason to get excited about the Super Bowl. But I think you do cross this Rubicon where you all of a sudden you're saying, "Oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, you want to come on and plug your, uh, you know, egg science water or whatever it is, and and also do an interview." and And I just think that's. That's the moment where it becomes. What are you doing? You know, why why are you here? <laughs> right. And are the people you're getting are they that exciting? You know, you mentioned like Tate Manning and Mia Hamm. I mean, that that's big time. I don't think I would. I don't think I personally would do, you know, some kind of product uh, placement exchange. But there, you can understand, I guess, why somebody would do it. But that's not what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about some guy who started for the offensive line uh, on two of the four Bills Super Bowls. <laughs> and he's here, and he'd like to talk to you about his company. He really believes in. and And I'm sort of wondering, what kind of deal is that? <laughs> what, <laughs> what are you getting to the folks back home? And what are you giving up by, you know, essentially placing a native ad in the middle of your radio show?
1: Yeah, it's a good point. and i and I don't mean I don't mean to say it. I mean, look, as a marketer, I don't mean to say it to demonize my entire side of the of the business. I still think there's ways to do things that are more inherently, uh, natural that that it partner brands should be partnering with athletes who have a genuine connection to them, or or a long term relationship with them. Or are you doing something? Are you giving media an experience, bringing them along for the ride, uh, in a way that feels natural? Um, I think when that happens, it's the sweet spot, and that everybody wins. Um, but I I would say that there's a lot of just um easy easy ways to just get a quick placement and that is just grab X person and walk them down the line and, and um, you know, just... just but what, what bothers me is when the media is like, oh, what are you hawking? Well, that, that to me is not an exchange that necessarily rings or, or screams authenticity to the people listening. So I, I guess I say this not to demonize no. it, but almost like the, the masked magician who reveals the secrets to say, let's all, everyone elevate our game <laughs> to make this better.
2: <laughs> right, and then you know, we often I hear I hear the segments where you say, you know, somebody, it's somebody—it's clear the host doesn't even know who the person is, right? <laughs> right. Or you know, scanning football reference to try to Wikipedia to try to figure out who they're interviewing in like in real time. Yeah, and, <laughs> I just don't know that that's like a happier, meaningful exchange. Sometimes it's even like an NFL Hall of Famer. It's just somebody who's not. You know, it's not Bart Starr, right? It's you know, Mike Haynes or something like that, which is fine. But it's just, it's just weird that you're kind of putting the person through. You're marching this you know, great football player down this row and saying, "Here, there's some people that really don't know who you are, barely care about your career, but we'll interview you for ten minutes so you can get Oscar plugged again."
1: <laughs> right. I guess so. From your perspective on the on, on the quality of coverage and the quality of media coming out of Super Bowl. What would you want to see some of these outlets doing differently? And, and the way that they cover... The, just How do you want to see them evolve the way that they cover the game to maybe reflect a more modern sensibility for what the Super Bowl is now?
2: It's a really good question. I mean, I think probably the thing is they're actually reflecting the sensibility of the Super Bowl is now. Right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the thing. Is- they're, they're, they're doing, they're, they're sort of following exactly in the uh, aesthetic blueprint of the Super Bowl. I would say, you know, I think the best things that get done out of there, whether they're in radio or print, are things that involve a lot of preparation on the front end. You know, I've heard. You know, I had a lot of writers tell me that they say you can't get a story at the Super Bowl. Right? You can come in with something prepared and then go find the you know the people you need. Occasionally, something will fall into your lap. But I think it involves like preparation. I think it sort of involves you know probably all of us putting it on our editorial calendar and, and thinking it through rather than us saying let's show up you know, see what guest and what story idea falls out of the sky and then running with that and pretending that that's news for a
1: week. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And the other thing I wanted to throw out there to you was, I keep wondering, like, where where is the the generation of YouTubers who are 17 who are, are, are using the Super Bowl as, like, their coming out party to say, it, to have the other people there go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this guy was the... Such a huge star.
2: The star, I think, the star of the Super Bowl is still the fifty-five-year-old white guy who's on, you know, sports radio, Green Bay, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> the guy see getting in fights and who I think are pumping out most of the content. You know, it's a really good question. I think, I think that's probably that opportunity there. You know, for my, I think from there's from one sense the kind of people who are established in sports radio and and print probably it's slightly easier to get press passes for the whole pre-Super Bowl week, but I don't think it's that. I don't think the bar is very high Right, (laughs) the people that I've actually seen at the Super Bowl. So I think that, you know, anybody could do that, and it's just a matter of, you know, it's expensive, right? You know, you have to put yourself up for a week. The hotels are going to be expensive. You bring whatever your team is and your support personnel and producers and all that kind of stuff, but but I don't see why anybody couldn't do it. Right. Um, I think sports are probably, press boxes are a little more exclusive in sports than they might be in other places. But we're talking about Super Bowl week. Everybody's invited. Anybody is invited. Anybody can come. So uh, I think that's probably the next frontier.
1: Let me throw one idea, to close here, let me throw one idea at you and, and get your reaction to it. Because for all of the talk and the, and the obsession we have over the midday kind of ESPN-Fox uh, content wars... Ratings on those shows uh, have been in decline across the board, and it makes me wonder about the overall health of that category of content as people switch away from streaming and focus more of their attention just on a handful of big live moments that are on ESPN. I was wondering whether it's time for the networks to treat Super Bowl week as true sort of stunt programming. Like, could you ever see a day where ESPN and Fox say, look, both first take and the new Bayless show are hurting in the ratings. What if we combined them for this week and just try to get everybody (laughs) watching to see what happens and see if we just make ourselves relevant again.
2: As a viewer, I love the idea because it sounds like (laughs) professional wrestling or something. You know, you're getting two, two warring companies to come together for a day. Um, I think, I think in terms of the Super Bowl, I think it's probably the week when anybody's paying attention anyway, you know, so it's probably yeah. that, that probably wouldn't happen then. But, you know, I think the dirty secret of those, a lot of those daytime shows is whatever the ratings are, they're so incredibly cheap to produce, right? You have so, you know, your talent budget, you pay those guys well in a lot of cases, but your talent budget is really small. Your production budget is really small. And all of a sudden, you have these, you know, you have these really stripped down things. And, you don't have to rate that highly, right? And I think, you know, when what you're talking about, which is sort of a viewer's dream of, you know, <laughs> Kip and Stephen A reuniting, you know, with their own, you know, soaring music in the background, um, it would be amazing. But it's like I don't think the I don't think those networks are quite to the desperation point of that yet. Yeah. You know, I think they're still making money on their own terms, right? It's not losing money. So you'd really have to be in, in dire financial straits for something like that to happen. Fascinating idea, though,
1: <laughs> Brian I really appreciate you joining, especially from <laughs> Australia. Uh, do you have any? Is there anything you want to? Uh, I look, I'm I'm like, hey, what do you want to plug? <laughs> but is there? I, I, are there any big projects coming out on the on the ringer that you that you um, that you want us to <laughs> direct us to, or or, or should should we uh, should we just stay tuned?
2: Yeah, I think stay tuned. is the answer, because yeah, I'm gonna have some cool stuff coming out of Australia in addition to all my other. Uh Sports media stuff.
1: A lot of times this time of year, we're, we're very much focused. We're, we're watching your Twitter feeds. We're reading you guys. We're refreshing uh, the websites all the time. I, but what is your schedule like this time of year as you're sort of playing air traffic controller with all these different campaigns that are coming out, all the teaser trailers versus the full ads? Like, What's your day-to-day like?
3: my day to day is looking at my inbox and wanting to scream <laughs> um, <laughs> no i mean this is this is basically our busiest time of year. We're inundated with stuff, and even as we like have more reporters, it's impossible with this year where people have decided that they're not gonna start releasing teasers early anymore if at all, and right. then you know it's just a lot more this week than usual.
1: I'm with you. I, I remember a couple of years ago thinking we might even get to the point where December is like when people start to see their stuff out and I'm shocked to see how much, how little buzz we had seen up until about three, four days ago. Is this the first yeah. time you can see the pendulum swinging back? Because I feel like for several years, it has really been pushing get out early to be either get first mover or advantage or if you feel like your work isn't super strong or if you're kicking off a long campaign um you want to give yourself a long runway
3: yeah i i feel like this is the first year the pendulum is swinging back the other way i and i wonder i wonder why that is um you know i i understand it um if you think about it in the way that, like, you know, movies have not been releasing, uh, letting reviews come out a couple days earlier, if they're not as confident in in the movie, they'll they'll embargo it until the day of, which you can kind of read as like, okay, well, then this is a bad movie because I don't want people <laughs> to know that. And so there's a part of me that's like, maybe these brands are worried that the ads are bad and so they're just they don't want people talking about bad ads before the day but but that also doesn't make any sense because it's like they're spending over you know 5 million just for the placement if it's a 30 second or more than 5 million um and then you know all the production costs, so it doesn't. I don't know. That idea doesn't really fully make sense. <laughs> Bringing an element of surprise back, sure, I guess. I I I don't know why they're doing this. Like I, I can't give you an exact reason. All I can say is that it annoys the hell out of me, and I'm very <laughs> tired.
1: I'm glad that I'm glad to hear you talk that candidly about it. And my, I guess I would say. Uh, you know, from my vantage point, I've never met um, I've never met a marketing client who wasn't confident, or sometimes irrationally confident in their own ad going into Super Bowl. So I'm with you. None I, of I, them
3: should be. They're bad.
1: <laughs> I have never seen a metric that has convinced me pre or post actually impacts the ad meter and the rankings in a meaningful way. Have you ever seen any data that would say there is a true best practice for how you should unveil your spot?
3: Yeah, I I haven't seen any metrics like that. Um, And I guess it would be interesting to look at it. But it's also, you know, when you consider best practice of the Super Bowl, I mean, it's kind of that's changing every year because Mm -hmm. of the environment that we live in, like is, is like... Three years from now, the best practice is going to be to have like a voice version of your ad because of Alexa's popularity. I mean, I I don't I don't know what it's going to be. Like it's it's all constantly changing, and so to say that like the media environment of like two or three years ago is really going to inform you of the media environment today. I mean, that just feels silly. It was a different ball game
1: a I, I, while ago. I totally agree. I also think probably nothing's. Probably supports what you just said more than you know. Three four years ago, everyone was building out listening centers and trying to win the night, and now I just barely yeah. hear anybody talking about winning in real time anymore. Um, I mean, everybody, I'm sure they are, but I I think just the the whole way we look at content has changed. How do you think marketers and brands are? approaching the, the holistic opportunity of the Super Bowl now um, as compared to maybe five or so years ago? I mean, integrated campaigns were the, 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 the uh, term du jour as we talked about getting a full return on investment for the price tag of the spot. Do you feel like companies are actually becoming more um, widespread in terms of how they're acting around Super Bowl? Or do you sense that they're actually narrowing their focus and trying to do one or two things really well leading up to the game?
3: Honestly, and you're gonna hate me for this, it's kind of both. Like I've heard from some companies, like uh, Mars, for example, for M and M's. They were the woman, um, Allison Miazka Bedrick. uh, She's a brand director over at M and M's. She used to run um, the the brand at at Snickers last year. And last year they had like the 36 hour live stream and the live ad during the game. And both of those were newsworthy, and both of those were insane. And basically, it meant that the company was kind of splitting its efforts. And so this year, when she took over M&M's and brought that back to the Super Bowl, she was talking a lot about how she had learned from Snickers that you know she wanted to do everything in service of the 32nd spot that's going to be airing during the Super Bowl this year. Now, other companies, I mean... Other companies are, like, not even using uh, a big game ad. Like, Mercedes isn't going to be in the game this year, but they're going to have this um, mobile game that Mm -hmm. they want people to be using during the game. So it's like... I don't know. I I do think it's both. I think it's like some brands are trying to really bring attention back to that ad during the game. And some brands are trying to figure out the ways that they can get people's attention, you know, on on the second screen. So and then some brands are like doing both like Budweiser, for example, is having a five second teaser of its Clydesdale cam during the game like that'll air during the big game. And then they want people to be tuning into their Facebook Live of the Clydesdales. So it's,
1: it's still all over the place. You guys on the most uh, recent podcast were, were pretty skeptical overall of what you had seen coming into the game. And, and we're taping this a few yeah. days before Super Bowl Sunday. So as, as releases have accelerated this week, has your faith been restored or are you still a no. little skeptical? No. Yeah. An authoritative no. What, what don't you like that you're seeing?
3: Almost every ad I've seen is straight-up garbage. What are these people doing? Honestly, every idea, I've just been like, are you kidding me? You're bringing this person back and this song again? That idea? I can't say because it's embargoed, but it's terrible. Like, there's so many ideas that I'm like, one, I've seen this before during the game, and two, are you kidding me? You've wasted your money.
1: Other than just... um... Uh, you know, the, the the lateness of the release, uh, maybe less overtly political stuff coming out before the mm-hmm. game. Um, what other trends might you be seeing or, or sensing are on the horizon um, as it pertains to, to, you know, Super Bowl Sunday?
3: Um, there's, there's a little bit of an altruistic spin to some of these ads hmm. where, you know, it's talking about water and disaster relief efforts. I don't know how people will respond to those.
1: How would you gauge the importance of the rankings? And I say that as someone who, having worked in on the earned media side for a long time, I mean, clearly, when you finish in the top three, top five, you're going to get an enormous bounce of media coverage the next day and top-tier people. You'll be on the Today Show as they you know, outline their favorites. So there's value there. But have you ever... Talk to people who really correlated the value of the rankings to sales performance or anything beyond just sort of backslapping and uh, earned media coverage? It's just backslapping.
3: <laughs> I mean, unless you really have sales to back it up, like if you have sales to back it up and you're not out there going, Hey, after our Super Bowl ad, we were up 40%. Then like y- whoever your PR firm is is bad. Like if if you're, if you're not out there, you know, proving that your Super Bowl ad worked beyond just like a perception lift, then, you know, that's lame because all most of what I get is just perception.
1: Right. Stuff.
3: It's like this brand people liked it more. Great. <laughs>
1: Cool. I've seen some coverage about in the wake of um, all the sexual harassment um, and assault issues, and and the Me Too movement, that the the, scru- the scrutiny is coming down on the ad industry for the amount of quality roles they're servicing to uh, women, actresses in the spots or the topics that they are mm-hmm. um, handling, uh, or the topics they are they are addressing, that speak and how they speak to women. How would you rate the way that 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 the uh, marketers have um, tried at least to foresee? Uh, their own behaviors, uh, you know, um, reacting to, you know, this obviously really important movement.
3: I mean, the ad industry has the exact same problems. Like, you know, um, there aren't nearly as many women in creative roles or leadership roles as there should be. And I think the creative reflects that. Obviously. And it's also just like, yet again, it's not just an issue of casting, but it is an issue of casting, but it's also who is behind the scenes, who's coming up with the ideas, who's approving the ideas. Like, obviously, morally, I have many issues with with the agency and brand world because these issues are bubbling up. I.
1: I I don't accept the I don't accept the um, rationale that oh it's it's sports they're gonna skew toward a male demographic because I mean I you know numbers do support that the women watching the game you women know, watch it yeah it's very close to 50 50 ESPN I was at the ESPNW conference um, about a year and a half ago and uh, then President John Skipper was talking about how on on a number of their big big ticket um, uh, games you know they're they're up to 47 percent of women watching and so. I, you know, I guess what do you think it's going to take for the industry to again not just try to solve the issue with casting but to really think about all the different inputs um, that are needed to have a, a, a much more diverse representation uh, included in the way that they approach their branding?
3: If I had an answer for that, I'd be trying to monetize it.
1: <laughs> That's totally fair. That is totally.
3: That answer, do you think I'd be
1: still be doing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm, I'm kidding, yeah, I've seen some digital campaigns come out this week um, that are you know i mean I, I think brands continue to experiment with ways to engage uh, consumers all across their devices, mm-hmm. whether it's um, you know vR or or you know emoji based stuff i mean even even your ad we covered that talked about the m M&M and m spot had an augmented reality um, component mm-hmm. to it, which I thought was great. What do you what do you wish brands would do more of when it comes to digital around the Super Bowl? Because, again, it's still a very TV centric event. um, And yet uh, the way that we consume the media that uh, that's around it is almost, you know, I mean, I I don't know the numbers in front of me, but like, I mean, you got to think it's almost entirely through mobile and digital. So what do you wish brands were doing differently or more aggressively to capitalize on that?
3: wish they were creating interesting second screen experiences like most of the second screen stuff that I see is just a live feed of some like BS happening elsewhere where it's like check out us we're hanging out no that's really boring like give me something interactive give me something where I'm going to be like immersed in an experience and I'll be happy to look at that rather than Tom Brady's butt chin
1: (laughs) Do you think there's more room for dynamic collaboration between uh, media entities and branded partners on content that that really could uh, that really could you know move the needle and, and excite consumers that that again goes beyond um, goes beyond just branded content and and pushes further and further into editorial publishing.
3: I don't understand why were, there aren't any more partnerships during this time. I mean, you know, for for companies and brands that don't have $5 million, why wouldn't you partner together and mm-hmm. come up with something so that you, you're you creating, you know, some sort of moment for your brands during the Super Bowl? Why not? But again, that's one of those things where, like, if I had that answer, we'd be doing it.
1: <laughs> I think this is part of the industry that, um, you know, our sports listeners don't don't often get a first uh first hand glimpse of but i do think the dynamic interplay between brands and media um and 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 their commercials is is fascinating i uh, do, do, i guess uh, last thing do you have any advice for brands on uh how not to annoy you this time of year
3: okay if 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 i were a brand manager i would say hey why don't you let these people know that this thing is coming give them multiple weeks ahead of time and interviews with with people so that we could package a very nice story have it ready not be dead tired when we're looking at whatever it is that you send our way and maybe maybe you know get something nice up <laughs> a real a real nice little
1: package i will I will do my best to spread that message throughout all my colleagues and i apologize but in advance if anyone even if have...
3: even if you even if you spread that message, that's not going to happen. Super Bowl decisions are made, like, last minute. I'm still getting calls from people being like, hey, pfft, we're actually in the game. It is the <laughs> Wednesday before the game. Are you kidding me? <laughs> all
1: right, well, speaking of which, I want to tell all of our audience, follow you on Twitter, read your pieces, uh, read all of, of of Ad Weekend. And, I, you know, hey, yeah, that's probably an ad. Is one of my favorite um, podcast names. By oh,
3: now. that's so nice. How
1: would you come up with me? that name?
3: We had like eighteen different brainstorm sessions to get to something that simple. I'm not kidding. <laughs> it It was a while, but that's very kind. Yeah. Knowing the work that went into getting that name, I very much appreciate the oh, shadow.